Hello, and welcome back once again to RPG Quest, the podcast where we do not play D&D. And we are currently deep in the midst of a scenario of Call of Cthulhu. Uh, my name is Chris. I'm your host, uh, your keeper for this scenario. But of course, the real star of the show is our player, uh, Detective Jack Cassidy, a.k.a. Brendan, a.k.a. Panda. How are you feeling? Yeah, I mean, ready to see how uh, all this all this ends. Yeah, it's been a uh, a wild couple of days for uh, for our hero, Detective Jack Cassidy. Hey, he's falling apart. <laughs> he's falling apart. Last time we saw, well, last time we left Jack Cassidy, he was uh, sort of clambering through the swamps and forests back towards civilization, back towards the the swamp communities out on the bayou after being bitten several times by venomous snakes uh, and after I don't think you were shot or really too damaged beyond that correct? Um, I don't think I was shot but no uh, I remember the other detective was shot I was certainly shot at Claude Lamont Claude Lamont was shot in the stomach before being carried off into the night sky by some kind of strange summoned alien creature um, but yeah, the snakes are what got you. Yeah, multiple, multiple snake bites. Uh, so as you sort of clambered back towards the communities, uh, Jack Cassidy collapsed, passing out from his injuries and also from a combination, I guess, of not having slept for a few days as he is uh, fearing the dreams that he might have of the the Yellow King in the city of Carcosa. So with that in mind, Jack Cassidy you begin to come to and you find yourself once more not in your home not in a bed even uh, standing at the foot of this great lake it's night and this time the yellow fog that was previously creeping in is now almost completely engulfing you you can make out through the fog some figures surrounding you. They appear to be swamp folk, night folk. One of them wearing, of course, a top hat that you recognize. You can recognize the silhouette. Uh, but there's another, perhaps a little more unfamiliar, a man, uh, white-skinned, gray-haired, draped in white robes with gold trim. And as he moves through the fog, he doesn't even notice that you're there, but you catch a glimpse of his face and he is wearing a white pallid mask. Oof. They, um, they don't seem to notice you as these swamp folk begin to chant in unison, some kind of, some kind of ritual. And the robed figure walks past you and out into the lake until he's ankle deep, knee deep. And as you look out, you see something in the water, something moving, something large. And as the cultists continue to chant their, their ritual, the lake itself kind of swells and the ground actually trembles beneath you. And black buildings and towers begin to rise from the earth itself. And uh, all of a sudden you find yourself 
I mean, still by this lake, but it appears that you're now on the outskirts of some kind of alien city at the edge of a lake. The lake is much larger than what it was just moments ago. The night sky is sort of dull and ashy grey and and within it there are these black stars that shine in uh, very unfamiliar configurations that do not remind you of the night sky of Earth. This is, well, having read the, uh, the play, The King in Yellow, reminds you of the descriptions of Lake Harley in the Hyades and uh, perhaps this city, these buildings and towers that are rising out, they must be mm. Carcosa. Um, you say the, the figures passed by taking no notice of Jack. Uh, if he like reaches out and try to grab one, is he, is he able to? Uh, yeah, you can begin to move closer to them, of course, yeah. As you sort of, you're going to, yeah, just sort of rush over towards the cultists and towards the lake? Yeah. Um, I, I'm assuming the other familiar silhouette was Bob Screech. You can make out his silhouette just through the fog of a, of a skinny man with a top hat and these cultists standing by the lake you know, a few feet away. Buildings now behind you. Yeah, I, I think considering like the last thing basically before Jack passed out was chasing Papa Screech. Even in a dream, he he's gonna... I mean, that's... gonna charge towards Papa Screech. <laughs> yeah. You begin to charge towards Papa Screech as they stand on the shore of this lake, through the fog, away from the buildings, towards this lake. And as you do, um, you know, you hear shrieking and flapping as more of these creatures, these insect bir- these insect-like birds are kind of flapping around above your head. And as you get closer to the lake, running up, closing the distance, this large thing, this luminous white monster sort of moves in the water. And as you get closer, its large tentacles crash out from the water, striking the ground. And as you get closer, this creature crushes several of the night folk beneath its slimy mass. As you get closer, give me a dodge roll, please. Yeah, absolutely. That's a 45 versus 30, a failure. One of these tentacles slap you down as you collapse backwards onto the ground, stuck under the weight of it. And you can just basically watch what happens as this large white monster moves closer to the shore. And uh, it stops... Um, just yards from the man standing in this water, um, this figure in the robe and white mask, and the the dripping tendrils of this monster reach out. More of these tendrils reach out and wrap him entirely. And the luminous white colouring of this strange monster, with its tentacles still pinning you to the ground, um, begins to fade as it tightens its grip around this man. And then in that moment, it it, it begins to wither and then collapse in on itself. And it slides back down into the shore, uh, into the depths of the lake. Its tentacles unwrap from around the man and they begin to slide off of you, releasing you now. And as you look up, this this man, uh, by all means, should have been, you know, pulped by this thing. But instead, his form stands uh, mostly unchanged and intact, but pale now, white and and almost strangely luminous. And he turns around and faces you 
And at this point, everyone turns around mm. and notices you, and they all draw blades. Uh, I mean, I think Jack would, like, reach for, like, the pistol he always has on him, but it's a dream, so maybe he doesn't, you know? Your pistol's there, by your side. Yeah, I mean, if they've all noticed me, um, I don't think he'll, he's gonna, he's probably laser-focused then, uh, with this one central, now, you know, starting to kind of glow, uh, I think he just fires all cylinders into it. Screaming. <laughs> you know. Yeah, you just begin to unload on this creature and it stands there raising its arms and the bullets just move in and out of it as though this thing is uh, incorporeal almost. Even though it looks solid, the bullets just pass through. And the cultists that have drawn their blades, they don't actually step any closer. Um, from within the fog that's engulfing you all, these figures somewhere, you don't know where, they draw bodies. Uh, men, women, children, still alive, c- crying out. You can hear the screams and the cries. And in unison, very casually, these cultists slit the throats of these bodies and just let them drop to the grassy earth. Ritual sacrifices. And you see this pallid, masked, robed figure almost floating a few feet off the earth, begin to move towards you. After you just unloaded your gun, your gun clicks out and it closes in and it just reaches down its hands and begins to choke you. Yeah. And you wake up. Wake up screaming. (laughs) You know. (laughs) That whole, you know, like really big, you know, gasp for air when you first wake up from a bad dream. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, you wake up gasping. You're feeling sore all over. You're sweating. You can feel like the heavy, muggy, humid air assault you. There's a thin sheet covering you stuck to your skin. Um, Strenched. The light is shining in. The afternoon light is harsh on your eyes. You feel completely sore all over and still sort of pains in your stomach. And you see a figure, blurry, um, moving, move closer to you and just go shh, 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 and place a damp cloth on your head and push you back down to lie down. Mm. I mean, considering everything, Jack is probably just immediately raving to them, um, you know, about the dream and about what's coming, you know. Yeah, you try and get some words off as this, this figure, uh, this elderly woman you now recognize as Granny Goudreau, pushes you down with this this cool damp cloth on your head and just continues to say shh, shh. And then you hear a man's voice in the corner of the room. You recognize it um, as one of the, the people that live here that you met before, the gentleman. He says, just calm down. You were bitten by a copperhead. Bitten many times, so just lie down. Don't try to get up too quickly now. Uh, yeah. Um. Thank you. I... Where am I? You hear just like the creaking of wood and the sound of wind chimes outside. He says, uh, This is Granny Goudreau's house. We found you crawling out the swamps. Bats in your arms. You're not doing well. You've been out now for a couple of days. You probably need to eat something. Do you think you could keep it down? 
Uh, yeah, a couple of days. Um, what day is it? It's Friday. Friday. Uh, it, it like, you know, you can almost see the the wheels turning as he, you know, Jack slowly sits up and tries to, uh, really, I guess, get a hold of himself. Uh, and he has calmed down up to this point, but once he hears Friday, like, oh fuck the party, <laughs> you know. Um, so I think at that point he will probably overexert himself trying to get up. Friday, I have to, I, I have to go. You see, uh, Granny Goodrow is still standing over you, just like again, just, just as shh, and tries to push you back down. Uh, this figure says, uh, "This, this man in the corner says, hold on, uh, you got to eat something." And he um, picks up like a little sort of metal camping plate and brings it over to you. Yeah, thank you. Uh, and thank you for, well, I mean, saving my life. It would seem. Oh, yeah. Thank, uh, Granny for that one. Yeah, I mean, Jack will turn and look at Granny. Um, and, you know, try to smile at her. Not not in, like, any of the... In the past, every time he smiled, it's, like, because he's trying to portray something or, you know, get one over on somebody. But I think this is probably, in the, in the entirety of our game, the first time Jack's, like, genuinely, you know, tried to smile. And it's, it's like, a pained thing. Like, probably it looks more sad than <laughs> actually happy. Um, she she smiles, you know, back at you. The the sort of white blue um, from cataracts uh, eyes, um, you know, big big smile, uh, big face, um, and uh, you know, sort of points down to the beans, sort of gesturing to eat that have been placed on your lap. Um, and in this moment, you realise you're you know you've been completely stripped um, except for your underwear, your your left arm where you were bitten. Um, bandaged from these snakes um, but as you look down at your right hand you see that your your fingertips fading up into to your hand are, are blackened from that the ones the, the, the hand that touched Papa Screech they're a little darkened around the fingertips and fingers yeah I had, I had forgotten about that um, uh, I think seeing that probably shocks him for just a minute but he he'll just accept it like it's just a, a part of life now uh, so he starts you know eating eating the rice and beans uh, likely slowly at first and then you know ravenously uh, and for sake of you know not having a horrible recording I'm not going to talk like my mouth is full uh, but <laughs> uh, but he you know he'll he'll kind of take a minute um, you know um, thank them again and like look at Granny and be like, I don't have much, but however I can repay you, you know, n- name it, I'll make it happen. Uh, I mean, you saved my life. Thank you. Um, you see, the the gentleman says something to to her in uh, a mix of sort of French and Spanish, and then she sort of nods and then sort of whispers back, and the the guy shakes his head and says, No, no. If you can rid this place of those, those evil men, that's all we ask for. And I feel like you've done that, right? Uh, well, I've done my, uh, I want to say my best. I Certainly some of them, uh, I intend to take out the lot. Or, I mean... <laughs> You know, uh, die trying, essentially, end up 
as I have, but I'll take down as many as I can with me. He turns to Granny Goodrow, who's at this point picking up your clothes and putting them down, folded up on the, the foot of your bed. Um, you see that you're still wearing this Grigris, this protection talisman. He turns to Granny Goodrow and says something again in another language, and she is she's tidying up after you, nods. And she moves a little closer to you and points to the the talisman around your neck. Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think Jack, like, you know, instinctually reaches for it and pats it against his chest. Uh-oh. Yeah. I won't part with this. I'll keep it close. And she nods. And, uh, you see that she, um, moves over into another part of the room and begins pulling out a few different things. First of all, um, it's been a few days, so you're going to recover some hit points just from natural rest, but Granny Goodrove has also been attending to your wounds while you're there. Um, so three days, so 3d3 plus three, if you'd like to roll that. All right, yeah, 3d3 plus three ended up as 11. Oh, wow. Um, so your yeah. hit points are fully, re- fully, fully <laughs> back recovered. To, yeah, I'm back to max. Um, beautiful. Um, I mean, you've been asleep for several days, so you're feeling a little, a little sore and queasy, maybe. But um, you're you're fully, fully healed. Um, yeah. You see that she begins to sort of. You hear this clattering and this moving going on in the other corner of the um, of the room, and this gentleman, this larger man, moves closer to block Granny Goudreau from view, and he stands there and he puts his hand on your shoulder and he's like. Just wait one moment, please. And uh, blocks Granny Goodrow from view as you hear this clamoring and then you hear like this mortar and pestle come out and then this smoking, you smell these smells. This goes on for a few minutes. And uh, after a while, Granny Goodrow finally steps over and gestures for this man to move and begins rubbing something all over your chest. Uh, it's kind of like a balm paste that she begins rubbing as she chants and then she dips her thumb in it and draws a little line down the top of your head as well and then steps back and gives you a sort of sad looking smile roll me a d6 oh that's a three a three I'm not sure what Jack makes of this this is a bit of um metagaming here but um you have three points of armor. So this will soak any any damage that you take from here. Yeah, I'm, I'm actually not sure how to... Uh, let, let's say it's he just feels really confident. Like something about it. He, you know, as, a, as now somebody who does truly believe in like the occult, uh, I think he believes what she has done will work to some extent. So it might just be pure confidence. Yeah. Yeah, so Jack genuinely feels like something has happened here. You feel good. Okay. You can put on your character sheet. There should be a little section for for armor. Uh, yeah, there is uh, under combat. Ah, wonderful. Yeah, if you turn on edit mode, you can add those three points of um, armor in value. The armor type is just for... Yeah, it's for all damage, including magical damage, so... Yeah, and after this ritual is performed, um, Granny Goudreau just 
gives you a nod and moves into the other part of the room, allowing you to get dressed, and get out of bed, get ready to head out into the afternoon. Yeah, I mean, Jack will get dressed quickly, uh, having finished his, his plate of beans. Um, and I, I think when he first stands up, he expects to be, like, barely able to move. Um, but with, you know, the, the great care Granny's given him, and, and uh, again, probably that, like, you know, that spell, uh, he feels surprisingly good. Better than he has in days. Uh, he might even attribute that to, like, actually sleeping. You <laughs> uh, maybe feel a little stiff, but yeah, you feel you feel good. Yeah. Uh, once he's dressed, uh, I'll, I'll play it out, and if I'm, like, um, crossing a preparation line here, let me know. I think you'll know where I'm going with it almost right away. Um, but Jack will look at, probably not Granny, the uh, the other guy who's in the room, who I feel like I knew their name at some point, but I've forgotten... Uh, and say, uh, y'all have, I mean, y'all have done more for me than I can, as I said, I can repay. Uh, but if I could ask one more favor, I know y'all are farming out here. You got any fertilizer? Maybe a couple Coke bottles? Give me a luck roll. <laughs> 53 versus 18, that's a fail. He says, um, it's mostly animal manure. I could probably find you some chicken fertilizer or something, but uh, it's probably not going to be much. Uh, no, that's that's all right. I don't, I'm not sure uh, that'll work. But thank you. Thank you anyway. And Jack, you know, gives up the hopes of making a bomb. <laughs> <laughs> he says chicken poo's the best kind of fertilizer. Oh, I'm, I'm sure it does an amazing job uh, for growing crops, but I was I was looking for... Uh, something with ammonia in it, you know, something uh, a little more explosive. Oh, I'm afraid not. We might have a couple bottles of moonshine. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Immediately Jack's like, I'm going to get drunk, um, but shakes it off and is like, no, 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 <laughs> I need supplies. Um, no, well, if, I mean, I wouldn't want to take too much from me, but if you're willing to part with a bottle or two, that would, that would certainly do it. He nods and, yeah, comes back with um, three yeah, about pint-sized, I don't know, what, what do Americans use? What's, what's about half a liter in, in American uh, measurements? Uh, I mean, it would be about a pint. Anytime I bought moonshine, it's been in a mason jar. So about Yeah, about a it's a mason jar of about, uh, which is about 500 mils. I don't know what that is to, uh, to ounces. Is that like 15 ounces or something? About yeah. Whatever <laughs> Americans use. Um yeah, he brings out three of those little mason jars full of this this white moonshine. I just tuck those away uh, if I have a small bag or something. Get a grit at it. Do that thing where you like shake it real fast to see how many bubbles are out. You know, like see if it properly reacts. I'm like, ah, this is some good shine. That's not bad stuff. Yeah. Well, thank you again. I uh, I don't know if I'll see you again, but I'll certainly get this done. And and listen. Um, Two detectives now have vanished in this swamp. So I imagine some cops might come around if they haven't already. Uh, and look, I, I mean, tell them everything. They might think you're crazy, but tell them everything. He nods and says, I trust you, Mr. Cassidy, so I will tell them everything. Yeah, I think... Jack assumes that 
tell them everything is going to end up with it being okay. Jack Jack Cassidy's a serial killer, um, <laughs> you know, because that would that would certainly be one way to interpret that. <laughs> but I don't think it matters to him. You know, it's ending this is more important. He um he he was the one who also spoke to you about how he was convinced that there are still these these night folk out there, you know, by the lake, and that they're up to no good. So the fact that uh, you would do anything to stop them. I think he's uh, very much on your side. As Jack Cassidy heads out to the car, give me another luck roll, please. That is a 60 versus 18, a failure. You hop in. It's hot, it's muggy. You stick to the seats. You put the keys in to start. You're not sure if it's the humidity or the fact that you're out of gas or that it's just been sitting here for so long in the... In the, yeah, in the swampy air, um, but it just sounds like it's flooded, and the car doesn't start. Mm. Yeah. How far are we from town? I assume I assume pretty far. Walking, it would probably take you two to three hours, so you would get there just after sunset if you were to walk. Uh, I think he probably rifles around his pockets to check to see if he has any cash on him um hmm. it's not jack's car <laughs> like, <laughs> if it's his own car he would just like uh, i mean he's he's feeling pretty fatalistic i think he would just give the keys uh you know to, to the folks who have helped him but it's not his car so <laughs> uh i guess a little Ask if they they can give him a ride in town, uh, and he'll you know he'll obviously pay for gas, you know, um, take care of that, and he'll have a, a tow company come out to pick up the car, bring it back to the office. Yeah, you recall that the the person you were talking to did have a phone, so you'd used it before. Oh, so I'll just call. He allows you in to. Uh, oh yeah, you could call for a cab as well. Yeah, I think yeah, but I had forgotten they had a they had a phone. Yeah, Jack will. Um, thank him for use of the phone and call the towing company yeah he called the towing company he says um yeah i can give you a lift into town and um as he goes to show you around to his ride once you call the towing company give him the address sort that that all out give them where to send the bill back to back to your place in new orleans um he leads you around to his ride and of course it's not a car he has say a mare Riding horse. Nice. <laughs> Probably a Morgan, actually. Oh, hell yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think Jack kind of just grins at that. I'm sure he's ridden horses before. Um, he kind of grins at that. And he's like, yeah, all right. Appreciate that. What's her name? Like, you know, pats the horse on their flag. Cheval. Good name. It uh, means horse in French. Uh-uh. Uh, well, <laughs> that's creative. Uh, good name, though. Yeah, I mean Sousa. All right, he uh, you know jumps on and uh, with an arm lifts you up to to jump onto the back. Yeah, as you put your arms around his waist, <laughs> and suddenly this turns into a sordid romance novel. Um, yeah, the setting yeah. sun as you gallop into town. It's beautiful. The swampy lands turning into to lush forests. All the the nightlife at dusk. The rabbits running home, or the squirrels, or the, the birds <laughs> heading back to their nest. It's beautiful. 
where are you getting our friend to take you? Yeah, see, that's a good question. Um, yeah, Jack's definitely not trying to go home. Um, he's not going to go to the police station. <laughs> but I mean, it's Friday, so he's he's panicking that he has to get to that party. Uh, and man, he's going to show up a wreck, but that's fine. Um, hmm. It's probably going to be about 6 p.m. by the time you make it back. You might have enough time to just get back to the apartment and freshen up before heading to Randall Fowler's place. Yeah, I think he'd go back to the apartment then. Because if, if it was like a couple hours he'd be there, he wouldn't chance it. But if it's like a quick drop in, yeah, back to the apartment. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you have to get off the horse anyway by the time you get to the town because this is a, the final day pretty much of Mardi Gras and there's parades everywhere. So a few people, drunken people out on the streets, although, you know, even though that's illegal, um, are, are crowding around the horse being like, hey, and, you know, jeering at you and cheering at you and it gets to the point where you need to dismount and, and walk the rest of the way. Your, uh, your friend wishes you luck before he high turns and hightails it back to the back to the swamp communities, leaving you to walk the rest of the way through the loud festivities in the streets back to Edroy and your apartment. Yeah. Um, especially with, like, two different encounters so far with, like, random creepy stuff happening when Jackson crowds. I think even just that walk back is very uncomfortable for him. Like, he's, he's probably incredibly paranoid um, and looking over his shoulder constantly. Of course, yeah. Just trying to blend through the thickest part of the crowd. Yeah, uh, I should. I would say this would be the perfect moment to again see more people acting out scenes from this play. And as you turn to look, you recognise these lines from The King in Yellow. And as you turn to look and blink and look again, they're just having a normal conversation. I'm not going to ask for a sanity roll because by this point you're just you know that you're losing yeah, it yeah. <laughs> and you you know that these are hallucinations yeah I mean that's the reaction to it like he does stop for a minute and listen um, and, and shakes it off and literally just assumes you're fucking losing it Jack you're losing it and just keep, keep walking you get back to the, the apartment have a, a moment of you know moment to yourself to catch your breath to, to freshen up to do what needs to be done and I guess center yourself and figure out a game plan for this this masquerade yeah i think the first thing he does uh you know obviously other than like you know washing up a bit probably changing suits to that that second suit that he has since he only has two um but i, I think the first thing he does of, of any you know substance uh is sit down take out like all of the notes he has everything he's compiled um and grab like a you know like a manila folder manila envelope um, seal it all together and quickly write a note for Ed Roy. Um, that's, you know, that classic, like, if I have died, um, <laughs> here's, here's why. Here's, here's who to look for, um, and everything I've learned. Uh, cause I've already sent copies of everything to the, uh, to Charlie Sunstrom at the paper. Um, hmm, put it in the gun safe. Yeah, I'm trying to think. Maybe he puts it under something, so if somebody tosses the apartment, they won't immediately see it, but that Ed would know where it's at. Um, but yeah, put it in the gun safe, along with the keys to the, the car. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I think beyond that, um, he probably... 
goes back and forth mentally on how he's going to approach this party. Um, and certainly a couple days ago, it would have been as simple as just walking in and seeing if you can get people to talk. Uh, but now, you know, he's sure horrible things are going to happen. Uh, and I mean, he... He's determined to take down Screech, like, pretty much at all costs, but not at such a high cost that a lot of innocent people will die. So once he has the thought of, like, I'll just burn the whole place down, he shakes that off, like, no, that's... I'm as bad as them if I do that. Uh, There's going to be a lot of people at this masquerade, yeah. Yeah. So, probably drinks a little bit of that moonshine, um, but prepares them like Maltovs, like he had before, in case everything goes to hell. <laughs> um, reloads his, his pistol. Of course. Make sure he has, you know, strong knife. Pocket knife, you know, not like a cleaver or anything, just his pocket knife. Uh, and gets ready to head out. And the mask. I, I hope he still has the mask, but if it was, like, lost in his run through the swamp at the end, or Granny didn't want it in her house, I, I would accept that. That would make sense. Yeah. You still have the mask. You still have the mask on you. You would have had a little, um, I imagine, like a little messenger bag with, with your things in it. Um, something like that. So yeah, of course you have the the pallid mask with you as well. Yeah. Um. Hmm. This is an odd one. No, I don't think he'd have that. I was gonna say he. I assume he's got like some kind of like costume cape or hood or something, so he can have the bag on him and it not be immediately noticeable. But thinking about it, there's no reason he would have that. Um. <laughs> you know. Um, Surely I might have something like that in my house for like Comic Con, but you know, not Jack. You could give me a luck roll. See if uh, Ed Roy has something along the lines of a cape. Oh, that's a 15 versus 18, a success. As you look through, you find it must be from a previous Mardi Gras, uh, part of a, a different costume, you know, some cheap masks uh, and this, this long velvety cape. Yeah. It looks like a tacky kind of magician's cape, but it'll do the trick. Yeah, I think he grins and takes a minute. Like, why does he have this? Well, oh, well, I'm, I'm glad I've got it. Oh. It'll toss it on before he heads out. Uh, you know, the minute he's out the door, he's going to be wearing that mask and cape the whole time. Of course. And you make your way through the streets in the direction of Randall Fowler's home. You have the the invitation in hand, bag hidden under the under the cloak, under the cape, ready to go. Yeah. Um trying to remember what fake name I used before. Jameson. Jameson Avery. Uh, <laughs> that's that's right. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I had, to, I had to look at my notes like, what name did I use? Um, I don't think he's going to try to do the whole accent and shit. I just don't, I don't think he even has the energy you know, for disguise like he did early on. Yeah, uh, of course. But we'll introduce himself at the, at the door. So it's probably about 8 p.m., by the time you you get to Fowler's mansion, um, you see there are plenty of cars parked in the area and out on the streets. There are people lingering in the garden, and there are hosts slash guards checking people's invitations, and taking people's coats as they as they enter in. Um, immediately, you clock that these guards look like Screech's men as well. Oh. I mean, was, you know, that that very accommodating fellow who I got in the fight with, is, is he there? <laughs> Since you mentioned the cards. Not, 
outside immediately as you see people enter in. You see they're all costumed as well, wearing masks. The theme is actually Alice in Wonderland. So you see a few people in top hats, a few Mad Hatters, lots of Alices, that kind of thing, uh, as the, the first of many costume guests are arriving now at about eight o'clock. The party has clearly started, so with your invitation in hand, you have no problem shuffling your way in. Um, I mean, this is probably just a total lead to nothing red herring, uh, but is anyone dressed like a white rabbit? Give me a spot hidden. As you begin to make your way into the party, you see lots of people. Um, you know, they all look wealthy and important. They're all mingling. There's catering, there's drinks around, uh, you know, prohibition be damned. There's punch, there's cocktails. Uh, it's definitely the place to be. It's an 88 versus 50. I only fail. 88 versus 50. You you move in through the garden, kind of looking around at people and, and into the actual uh, foyer of this grand mansion. Um, there are a few people dressed as, as white rabbits. Uh, there's only so many costumes, costume options available for an Alice in Wonderland theme. Um, so there's plenty of rabbit masks around. None of the people stand out to you as anyone you know or recognize. Okay. Um... Hmm. Can I do, like, an intelligence check or something to see if Jack would have put together bits from the dreams and, like, his his very brief glimpse at Fowler and stuff like that? I feel like as a player that's fine, but maybe Jack is not. He doesn't have all the same knowledge I do. Yeah, yeah, give me an intelligence roll. Ah, 95 versus 70. That's a fail. Uh, yeah, Jack is not. Yeah, a lot of it, I guess, he's still not sure if any of it's... Um, bits are actually memory or bits that he thinks he's putting together from a dream so kind of drops that and we'll just start looking for more guards you know Yeah. I will give you this though you did see the back of Fowler's head one time in the warehouse that evening when you confronted Papa Screech you didn't see his face so you don't know what he looks like but you saw the back of his head you know his tall thin grey haired sort of curly hair not balding so you do look around the, the party trying to find someone like that. And you're not sure, but that dream with the robed figure and the masked figure did look. There were similarities in appearance. You caught the back of his head. You caught the back of Fowler's head in person. So those uh, clues are kind of beginning to, to merge together and it's making sense. But you don't see Fowler anywhere mm. uh, you see that there are plenty of these guards though upstairs blocking all the rooms that aren't the the main foyer area where people are partying and congregating no sign of screech or fowler oh, I'm, I'm running through like you know three different three different scenarios in my head of like a quick way he can get upstairs and man today i just woke up and chose violence like every every option i'm coming to is that i don't want to do anything yet um, I think he just goes and gets himself a drink and tries to mingle a little bit, but the point is to keep watching the room, um, see if uh, anyone he has met before kind of wanders through. Of course, yeah, you grab a drink and scope out the area. There's also a pathway leading out to the back garden of Fowler's house as well, so you have time to, to grab a drink and, and wander down in that direction. As you head out the back into, there's like a, a pillared porch 
and then a back garden and there's a Dixieland band playing out there. There's plenty of people here. There must be more than a hundred guests filling this area, the front garden in the back. The wait staff are not masked, so you recognize that all of them, as well as the guards, look to be Fowler's men. Uh, not Fowler's men, they look to be Hover Screech's men. They're all the same, broad, large. Rough and ready, yeah. Rough and r- rough and ready. Uh, a lot of them, I guess, kind of Caribbean pirate-looking <laughs> sort of folk. Big, broad, dark-skinned, rough. They don't look like they fit in. They don't look like the kind of people someone would normally hire for an event like this. You overhear a bit of conversation, people talking about how the the warehouse was burned down and how their float was ruined and all that sort of stuff and, you know, I guess crime in this city. It's, it's awful. It's absolutely awful. Someone else says it must have been one of the other jealous parade organisers or something like that. There's all this sort of talk about all the events that have been going on recently Uh, but everyone's excited overhearing you know the thing about the float being burnt down jack will kind of smile to himself but he will stop at some point interject into somebody rudely interject into somebody's conversation like well i heard that uh fowler did it all himself to collect on insurance money things aren't looking too good around here from what i hear and then just wander off (laughs) you know (laughs) (laughs) Amazing. Uh, give me a spot hidden as you're scoping the area. Oh, yeah. 11 versus 50. That's a hard success. Hard success. You notice two people that you recognize. The first, because you were specifically looking out for March Hare costumes, you see a few March Hares, and you see this skinny little figure hanging out by himself, looking suspicious in a little March Hare's outfit. And you're not sure, based on the mask, but his frame, his size, he has wire glasses on the outside of the mask and you see the brown cropped hair behind. It looks like Francois Abaddon. Oh, didn't expect that. Oh, man. Um, hmm. I feel like Jack's immediate impulse is to go check on him, but then he's not going to, he's just going to hold back. As you're debating whether or not to do that, you see a short man, very beautifully dressed, wearing a little mask. You can make out the moustache, the slick back hair, with a tall, beautiful woman on his arm, walk in. (laughs) The colourful suit. He's wearing the the Mad Hatter's top hat is, uh, of course, none other than Dennis Bouchard. Hmm... Alright, so uh, again, like the immediate inclination, because the last I saw, he was, I mean, he was losing it for for Francois, rather, I should say, was was losing it. So I'm probably amazed that he's here. Um, And I'm tempted to talk to Bouchard because he did invite me. But again, I, I don't think he has the wherewithal to keep up that disguise that he did a couple days ago. Uh, I'm just trying to decide which one he keeps sight of. I'm going to roll to see if Dennis Bouchard notices you. <laughs> yeah. uh, he, that's, that's a 78. He does not. He does not notice you. Uh, he's, he's busy 
he's got this this tall beauty in red on his arm and he's busy showing her off and walking around talking to important people yeah um okay yeah I, thankfully he didn't notice me uh jack is gonna keep an eye on him you know like track him through the party best he can um but yeah not get close enough that he'll spot him sorry is this avadon or is this bouchard bouchard bouchard, bouchard. A- avadon i whether or not Abaddon is probably who I should be talking to. I don't think Jack would want to. I think he would just be amazed he's here, and it would make him more paranoid, if anything. So stick with who he knew would be here, and who he knows is wrapped up in all of it, and, you know, follow him around, essentially, blending into the crowd. Yeah, no problem. You follow Bouchard, you blend into the crowd, you try and stay unnoticed. Give me a, I'm going to say, stealth. It's not stealth, but you're trying not to stand out. And as someone at a party on his own, that's difficult to do. Yeah. yeah. I mean, stealth makes sense. It's like social stealth. Um, that is, oh, a 98 versus 55, a fail. Yeah. As you're following Bouchard around and you see Francois Avedon out in the garden by himself, drinking alone, looking nervous, he clocks you and begins to close in. Uh, I mean, knowing that he's not gonna get out of this conversation, I, I guess Jack like kind of gulps hard and tries to put some space between himself and Bouchard so he can go speak with Abaddon. Like he he'll probably meet him halfway, but make sure they can't be like overheard by Bouchard. Yeah, you see Bouchard actually leaves his female guest and walks inside into the house as you are stalking him, but you stop and linger in the garden as Abaddon closes in to cut you off, and he moves in closely to talk softly. He says, uh, Mr. Cassidy. Mr. Abaddon. I was hoping you would be here. Well, I'm, I'm surprised to see you here. How are you feeling? No, no, I'm, I'm fine. I'm fine. I am. Lucky I have this mask because these symbols, they are everywhere. The king's presence is all around us. And as he mentions that in gestures, you look around and indeed this house is adorned with all kinds of manner of the yellow sign. Yeah. Um, And again, Jack is... I guess we could just assume all of this is fairly quiet, especially in a loud party. Of course. Uh, They'll get in fairly close to him. Look, when we first met, I'm, I'm sorry for thinking you were mad. You were right about everything. And you you should not be here. Horrible, horrible things are going to happen tonight. Your eyes have been open to the truth. Oh, you are correct. Horrible things will happen tonight, but if I don't stop them, who will? Yeah, well, that's how I feel as well, but what are you going to do? What am I going to do? Give me a Charm or Persuade, I'll give you a bonus die on this because the two of you have bonded. Okay. I'll go with Charm. Both fails. First is a 28 versus 15 fail. Second is a 70 versus 15 fail. No problem. You can either try and push or you can... You could spend your luck, but yeah. Yeah, I imagine it's it's getting pretty low at this point. <laughs> yeah, it's down to 18. I'm, I'm going to reserve that luck for, like, you know, 
which might be a mistake, but I'm reserve it for you know the very last possible moment. I think it'll be needed. Um, of course. No, I'll just I'll just accept that fail. Whether or not we've bonded, it kind of makes sense. He's not just gonna blab whatever he's doing. Well, I am willing to do what needs to be done. And he looks around suspiciously and he says, "Just uh, promise me this." When uh, that fowler shows his face, keep your head down and stay away. Yeah, all right. Uh, Jack immediately feels uncomfortable. <laughs> uh, um, okay, you know who Screech is? I'd like to describe Papa Screech to him. He says, we, oui, the voodoo man. He is the one behind all of this, but... Unfortunately, Fowler is too far gone now. There is no saving him. He must be stopped. Well, then I guess we'll do just fine if you're focused on Fowler. I'm after Screech. He nods. And he um, sort of taps you on the shoulder. And says, uh, Forgive me. I must focus. And he turns to, to walk away. Of course. Mm, does he have a bag or anything on him? Give me a spot hidden. 99 versus 50. That's a, that's a bad fail. As he moves away and you try and get a look on him, a few people sort of push and bump into you. Someone's like, oh, sorry, my friend. And uh, almost spills a bit of uh, martini on your shirt. Ah, I think nothing of it. Um, and then as you look back, Avedon's gone. Oh, man, shit. So I lost Bouchard and Avedon. Um... You know Bouchard went inside. You can head inside if you want to try and track mm. Bouchard. Inside. Yeah. Yeah. It, I mean, if I don't see anything else outside right now, that's going to draw my attention. Um, going to try to pick up the trail again on Bouchard, see where he went. Yeah, of course. As you begin to shuffle through the crowd, back indoors, into the house, uh, give me another, either a track or a spot hidden, please. Now let's do track. I don't think I've rolled track yet this game. <laughs> That's a 67 versus 45 fail. Yeah, you step back into the um, into the house. There are rooms everywhere. There's a bar on the patio. As you move out, the the study and the the living room or slash, yeah, the large dining room appear to be open as well with bars in them. Um, but there are just costumed revelers everywhere, all dancing, having the times of their having the time of their lives. So there are a few extra rooms down on this ground floor, but leading upstairs, as you look up, um, there are definitely definitely guards. You said that uh, there was a person taking coats, right? So is there like a coat room? There is. Yes. Okay. Uh, Jack is going to go steal a woman's coat. Uh, <laughs> throw it over his arm. <laughs> um, yeah, moving in from the the rear porch, you've got the there's the kitchen to your kitchen to your left, where you know staff are coming and going. Um, there is a, the study is open, the large dining room is open. There are bars in there. The band is out in the back garden area, um, and there is a, a servant standing there directing people to the bathroom and also putting coats in that back storeroom behind him. But there is a guard right there 
taking people's coats and putting them in the storeroom. Okay. Uh, I mean, if there's if it's not somewhere he can just sneak in, I guess he's going to like uh, walk over to the attendant kind of exhaustedly uh, and just say, "I bet." I need my wife's coat. She, well, she's uh, had a little bit too much of the uh, festivities. She's not feeling too well. I'm just going to collect her coat and take her home before she makes a fool of herself. And describes, like, like a gaudy fur coat of some kind. Like, something that people would think is rich, but probably isn't, actually. Just very ostentatious. Surely they have at least one coat like that. <laughs> uh, he's going to move in and, and begin searching for a coat. Is that what you had planned? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, he's he he doesn't say anything. He just looks down at you um, as he towers over you, and he moves into moves into the storeroom and begins fumbling about through the piles of coats in there. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm literally looking for a prop. Like Jack is looking for a prop, so he's not gonna. He's just gonna wait patiently. Um, if it's more than like you know, twenty or so seconds, he is gonna be impatient about it. Like, well, well, all right, Mister, hurry up. I'm, we gotta go. Yeah, you uh, move. <laughs> you move in as he's going through some more coats. Give me a um, uh, fast talk, please. Thirteen versus seventy extreme success. Yeah, I think you see him going through some and kind of looking at them, and uh, you know, as he picks one up, it looks perfect. You point to it, I imagine, and 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 uh, gesture that that's the one. Yep, absolutely. Yeah, and he turns and and passes it to you. Uh, a jackal, like I don't know, thumb a buck, um, Adam. Well, thank you, Mister. You uh, you have yourself a fine night, you know, for your for your assistance. He you know, folds it, pockets it. It's probably just like I don't know if it's a good tip or a bad tip for the time. I assume it's a bad tip for the time. <laughs> oh, it's not bad. A buck's pretty good. He folds it up and puts it in his pocket and gives you gives you a nod. This time, actually, like some politeness registers on his face, and he moves back into blocking off the hallway there outside the storeroom. All right, um, take that coat. You know, toss it over my uh, toss it over my arm and head towards the stairwell, um, and try to pick up. A, I mean, Jack's drank enough that he knows what a drunk stumble looks like, but kind of pick up a gate as if he's very drunk, uh, and head head towards the stairs. Of course, you begin to to stumble upstairs to the upstairs area. No one stops you immediately as you move uh, up to the the upper balcony. Um, there's a little bit of an area of just windows and, and a length of balcony. But as you get to the very top of the stairs, you see some of the, the servants that are up there blocking it off on the, both the left and right direction. Obviously, this must be where the bedrooms and things like that are. Yet yeah, one of the, the servants, Papa Screech's men, storms towards you. He says, Whoa. Party's back downstairs. Yeah, the hell out of my way. Martha, Martha, you come out here. And just start shouting, <laughs> almost ignoring the, the guard, trying to push him past him. Yeah, he grabs you and he's like, no one's up here. Are you going to try and push past him? Yeah, um, and not... The party's back downstairs. <laughs> not very violently, just as if he doesn't even matter. Uh, but absolutely going to try to push past him. I'd say that's a, a dexterity against his strength as he's trying to to grapple you. Ooh, 18 versus 16. That's a hard success. That's just a regular success. He grabs onto you, but you just sort of drunkenly stumble past as you begin moving down the hallway. He's like, hey, um, give me a luck roll, please. 45 versus 18. That's a fail. 
you do move past him as he tries to grab onto you. He manages to grab onto the cloak that you're wearing, the cape that you're wearing, and you pull past, but you hear something thud to the ground. I'm going to roll a spot hidden for our friend. Oh, no. (laughs) Oh, 87 versus 40. That is a failure. You notice it, though. One of the mason jars of your makeshift Molotov cocktails thuds down out of your bag to the ground as he tries to grab onto you and you escape his clutches. It hits the ground just a few feet from your from you. He's busily distracted by you, trying to grab you and stop you from stumbling around upstairs here. Okay, hearing that third Jack is immediately gonna like oversell a quick stumble because again he's acting drunk and drop the coat on top of the the uh, mason jar and you go down to like reach down to pick it up excellent yeah you you stumble down and scoop up this this jacket with the mason jar in it before he notices anything and he again moves and goes to try and grab you and he says the party's downstairs like i said i don't i know where the damn party is mister uh look look for my goddamn wife i know she's up here martha just shouts again probably cavorting with somebody was it you and just like stares at him you see there why you had my wife (laughs) you see there are more servants now uh closing in there are a couple in this hallway so they're clearly blocking something and as they move in to close around you a figure emerges from the door to the northern far end of the hallway and he begins walking towards you, and of course, it is Papa's reach. Ah, oh, shit. So he says, Now what's going on here? Ooh, oh, man. I think a smarter Jack would try to weasel out of this and keep up the act. Uh, but he's... No, no, we're all in now. Uh, as soon as he sees Screech... He's going to say, there's the bastard going my, with my wife and uh, charge him. Just rush him. <laughs> try, to, try to break free from this group and rush him. Yeah, of course. There are a couple of around you now, so I'm going to roll for them. Give me a dexterity roll, though, or actually a dodge, I'm going to say. Okay. Oh, okay. I'm going to use luck on that one. 36 versus 30. Yeah, that. Th- I guess this is what I've been waiting for, for my luck. <laughs> no. So, I will drop that down. My luck is down to 12. I'm sorry to say this, though, because there are many of them. They're going to roll with a bonus die. So even though you've got a success, that is not enough for their hard success. You break free of one of them and move halfway down the hallway, but the others close in and grab you before you reach Papa Screech. They grab you and stop you as you're trying to throw them off. Um, But you get close enough for Papa Screech to see you. And he smiles and he obviously recognizes the mask from the other night. Yeah. And he puts his hand up and takes a few steps closer as he's sort of the others kind of holding on to you. Um, They're just holding you in place. They're not throwing you down. They're not going to do anything you're within their grasp and in this moment he steps a few steps forward and he puts his hand up and he says now everyone just calm down I haven't seen your wife but I'd be happy to help look for her 
if that's what you need, Mr. <laughs> yeah, I don't think he's even gonna fucking lie. Jack Cassidy, I would appreciate that. Well, Mr. Cassidy, let's take a walk and see if we can find her. And he whistles and does a little gesture with his fingers, and they let you go. Yeah, I, I think he, like, you know, kind of that macho thing for just a minute, like, brushes off his shoulder, you know, tries to straighten up a bit. We'll just stroll towards Screech. Uh, let's have a look around. Yeah, he closes the, the door behind him. Um, one of the guards moves back down to block it. Uh, it looks like the door at the end of the hallway to the master bedroom. And he, yeah, he he's going to walk past you and begin walking downstairs. He's actually not going to go downstairs. He's going to walk out to the balcony that overlooks the party and he's going to lean on the stairs and look out over it. Yeah, I mean, I've, there's probably an internal fight as Jack is like fucking throw him over the balcony. No, no, no. And slowly walks up and like assumes the same position, stand next to him and lean over the balcony. Well, all right, let's talk. He pulls out a cigarette and lights it. Tonight's the night, huh? Um, yeah, as you say that, he says. Takes a drag and says, Tonight's the night. Well, I would say, doesn't have to be. You can, you can stop all this now before a bunch of people get hurt. But I know that don't matter to you. So how about this? Why? I mean... We both know I'm not walking away from this. The least you can do is tell me why. There are powers in this world beyond what you and I can comprehend. Beings of other worlds. Things that we can't stop. I guess the question is, when they come, which side do you want to be on? The side of the slaves and the dead, or the side of the kings and the rulers? Mm, well, I don't think that's really a choice, is it? The last time we met, what did I say to you? You know what side I'm on. It's not too late to change. You can stand right up here beside me. I like you, Mr. Cassidy. I think that, like, puts his teeth on edge almost like probably he wants to begrudgingly agree like you're a good adversary but he's just so like deeply opposed to everything that's happened because of screech that he you know just sets his teeth on edge mm, yeah <sighs> how long do we have mr fowler will be making his appearance very shortly out of the corner of your eye, you can see that um, more of these guards, these servants, are, they're keeping their distance, but they're closing in in the flanks around you. Mm. I mean, noticing that, I, I guess, <sighs> fuck, Jack will go with that last, like, kind of gambit uh, and just say, oh, all right, listen. Oh. <sighs> I've seen what's to come. It's in my dreams. I know what's real and what's not. And all this is real. 
So fine, why don't we stand here together, wait for Fowler, and usher in the end. Give me a fast talk. That's a 58 versus 70 success. He takes another drag of his tobacco and for the first time looks up at you and makes eye contact. And he says, I'm glad you realize it would be silly to fight this now. Stand here with me and just enjoy what's to come. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I mean, I imagine, at least for now, especially with those guards kind of looming nearby, Jack won't make any moves. He's going to wait until he can see Fowler and, you know, bide his time. I don't think... I don't think he has a whole lot he can say to Screech in this moment because he he just has so much hate for him that I think he's concerned if he says much more, he's going to fucking betray his own, you know, his, his own lie. Yeah, Papa Screech finishes his cigarette and puts it out in the carpet beneath his snakeskin boot and stomps it out, crushes it into the carpet. And he says, Sir, I'll be right back then. And the guards move in a little closer as he begins to step away from you and back towards that that bedroom. Mmm. Fuck, it's time for it. It, it, It's such an internal struggle of, like, I really want to see, like, what's going to happen, but also being like, no, I have to stop it before it happens. Um, (laughs) So, (laughs) going to go with that. I mean, the minute that he turns around, uh, Jack will bust out one of those bottles and light the the fuse on it and chuck it at Papa Screech. Like, the minute that he turns around. Let's uh, let's burn this bastard. Oh, fuck. Okay. Um, Give me, first of all, Dex, how subtle are you trying to be about this as his guards are sort of standing near you? Um, I think like the initial spin and reaching in his his bag, he's trying to look subtle. Like, and maybe he even says, you forgot this. Um, but yeah, once, once he has the hand in the bag, it's, it's nothing subtle about it. It's just fast. Seeing you reach into the bag. Yeah. Give me a sleight of hand as you reach into the bag. I'm going to roll a spot hidden for our friends as well ah 23 versus 10 that's a fail oh and i spent that luck so even if i wanted to i couldn't push it shit 23 Hmm. versus 40 the guards as papa screech turns the guards see you reaching in to pull something out of your bag and they charge in close to you oh man and you see them charging they're going to throw some fists as Papa Screech moves. The first one is going to swing at you. You see the fist coming right for you before you manage to pull this thing out of your bag. Yeah, I mean, I think he would, you know, try to try to duck that blow and just keep doing what he's doing. Like he's going to okay. keep trying to get that throw off. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Give me a uh, dodge roll against this fist, please. 24 versus 30. That's a success. That's a success. This fist looks like it's swinging right towards you, but you duck out of the way and he bangs into the... His fist collides with the railing along this balcony. The other one closing in is going to swing at you as well. Are you dodging again? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, give me another dodge roll. Oh, 78 versus 30. That one's a fail. 
you are going to take... Ooh, that's an extreme success. You're going to take five (laughs) points of damage as this fist, as you duck out of the way of one, the other one collides with the side of your head and you take five points of damage as he clocks you directly in the side of the face and you can actually feel the blood begin to dribble down your chin. Yeah, I mean... It is your turn, though. Feeling like he's been hit by a Mack truck. (laughs) He's... These guards don't matter. Like, Jack, in this moment, he fully expects he's just going to get the shit beaten out of him, but he's not going to deter from his goal. Like, if he can stop this now, he's going to try to. Um, So completely ignoring the guards who are beating on him, he's going to take that throw. Yeah, go for it. Give me a throw. That's 17 versus 20. Success. Yeah. You getting clocked in the side of the head, you drop down, but your hand's still in this bag, which is maybe why it was a little harder to dodge. You light the rag sticking out of this jar and you lob it into the corner of the hallway there. These guys notice it too late. Screech walking around the corner, not even looking back at what's happened. He knows that you're getting the shit kicked out of you. And then it crashes to the floor beneath his feet and bursts into flames. No one's yet noticed what's going on. I'm going to roll a dodge for our friend, Papa Screech. With a penalty, as he wasn't expecting this. 96 versus 45. That is a failure for Papa Screech. He just walks away and this jar collides with the bottom of his shoes. And fire begins to emerge. What is the damage on these uh, Molotovs? That's a good question. Oh, it's 2d6. Amazing. Roll 2d6. (laughs) I got two ones. (laughs) That's a two. (laughs) It wasn't the best throw. Damn you, Dice. (laughs) It wasn't the best throw as you were clocked to the side. So this flame emerges at Papa Screech's feet. And he kicks up his heels and charges down the hallway. Out of your view as the fire goes, you don't know how much, if any, had actually hurt him. But now you're surrounded by these cultists as two more move in. I'm going to make a listen roll for our friend, Mr. Avedon, to see if he has heard what is going on. That is a six versus 30. Oh, six versus 45, sorry. That is an extreme success. As your arm, I imagine, is still slung over the railing of this balcony, as you hurled this fire, you hear voices erupt going, ah, downstairs. So they've heard something. Maybe they've seen the light of the flame begin to burst out. Four of these cultists squaring off around you You hear the commotion downstairs. People begin to shout and scream. And as you're looking down over the party, as you look to your left, slunk over this railing, you see the wiry figure wearing this March Hare mask begin to rush upstairs and draw a little Luger pistol. He is going to fire that off at one of the cultists. 
Oh my god. That's a 10 versus 40. That is a hard success. And it connects directly with his neck. Blood coming out the other side. For 10 points of damage. Incredible. I'm going to roll a con for our friend to see if he, that is a major wound, to see if he stays up. That is a success. He grabs his neck, this hulking figure, as the bullet escapes the other side, blood pouring down, uh, but he does not go down. Hmm. It is the cultist's turn. Your turn was just throwing this thing. So, again, two fists are going to fly out at you. What does Jack Cassidy do? Just trying to decide if he's going to... Yeah, no, he's there's there's no getting out of this this fight now. Um, and for a brief second, I'm like, maybe he's going to try to roll himself over the, the balcony and land nicely, but then he can't get back upstairs, so going to brawl. Going to see this out, I guess. Okay. Are you dodging these incoming fists? Oh, I was going to fight back. Oh, br- oh you're going to fight back. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah, and it was a fail. 59 versus 35. Fail on a fight back, on a brawl. All right. The first fist swings towards you for two points of damage as it connects with you. Remember, you have your magical armor as well, absorbing some of these. Yeah, I forgot about that. Um, is that like a used and gone thing? It's like a used and gone. It's a soak and then it's gone. So it's essentially like temporary hit points almost. Okay. Um, I mean, I suppose there's no difference in whether I was like, I'll wait until I have one HP or if I had just used it before. So I think that first hit, um, I soaked three of that damage with the armor and now it's used. Great. So you can add those three points back to your hit points. Still take this two off, but yeah. But um, yeah, I should have said at the time, uh, as this fist swings out to hit you, this glowing shimmer beams off of you and you feel protected as he connected with your face. You're like, son of a gun. This actually worked. Another fist, though. is going to swing out at you. Ah, 48 versus 35. That's another fail. Jack's not a very good fighter. I don't know why he fights so much. <laughs> you know? <laughs> oh, he's got the fighting spirit. <laughs> it's because he's always drunk, I guess. These guys, unfortunately, are very good at brawling. Oh, that is a fail, however. As the second one swings out at you, he misses. The first one clock knocking you back with the second one misses. And the other two continue to close in you're now surrounded by four cultists all looking like they're about to beat the shit out of you (sighs) um yeah i mean that whole thing about how am i gonna get back to the second floor i guess is about to be a now problem because being surrounded by four i don't think there's whole lot of option here at least like my thoughts either way i'm probably gonna hurt myself uh, if they don't hurt me more. Um, so, I I think Jack is going to try to um, chuck the second of his third um, 
basically Molotovs right at his feet and spin backwards over the balcony as he does, like one one motion. Nice, incredible. Basically, just throw it onto the ground and uh, drop over the balcony. Yeah, I'm not going to require a throw for this because you're literally just throwing it at your feet. That's fine. That's easy to do. What I am going to ask for is as you move out of the way of these cultists and throw yourself over the balcony and down onto the ground, I would like a, I'm going to say it's a dodge roll, please. Makes sense. To get out of the way and get down onto the ground safely. Okay. Oh, God. Uh, I'm going to push that. That's a 98 versus 30. Um, and I, I know it's going to make the consequences worse, but I mean, the consequences are pretty bad either way. So I'm going to push that. Okay. And I still failed. 36 versus 30. Okay. You pull out the second of these Molotov cocktails and hurl it down into the ground in a huge mass of fire. And as you go to jump back over the the balcony over the railing down into the party below your cloak gets caught in the railing itself oh shit and you begin to dangle over the edge <laughs> you feel it pull on your neck and you're actually hanging there choking by this cape as the fire erupts first of all roll damage please for the Molotov, 2d6. <laughs> These Molotovs are horrible. That's uh, two ones again. That's a two. Are you kidding me? <laughs> it's because he was drinking off them, you know. If only he hadn't, you know, drank so much of that shine. <laughs> oh my god. Well, luckily one of them dies. The one that was shot in the neck. The others all only take two points of damage. Unfortunately... So does our hero, yeah. Jack Cassidy, take two points of damage from these explosions. And at this point, everyone has seen what is going on. Gunshots, fire. This is all too much as you hear screams down below. Perfect. Um... Yeah, I mean, I guess, again, hanging from the balcony, choking. Um, I'm not sure where the role for this would be, but but Jack is just going to try to, like, either quickly um, unclasp or untie, however it attaches the the cloak from himself as he's choking, or, like, wriggle out of it. I'm, I'm not sure. Uh, I guess it depends on the design of the, the cape. Yeah. First and foremost, uh, Avedon is going to move up the stairs uh, and fire off a second shot. He's going to fire off two shots, actually. So the first one, fail. Second one is also a fail as he fires off both of these shots, just blindly into the fire and the smoke. Now burning the hallway. Francois, come on, bro. That first shot was great. Uh, <laughs> these cultists um, try to move in towards you, but the fire is now blocking them. So they turn their attention to Francois Avedon and they are going to move towards him as they charge him. One of them 
Unfortunately, Jack probably doesn't see this. Draws a knife. Oh, man. It's going to be a... Give me another person dying trying to help Jack. <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> <laughs> he swings. And Avedon, that's a 52 versus 45. Avedon dodges mm. out of the way of the knife. Oh, excellent dodge as well. One of them swings a fist at Avedon. These are the two at the back. That is a success as Avedon is going to take four points of damage as one of these fists connect with his sternum. The other one is a little too far away. These two were lingering at the back. The other one is just going to step back, put his back against the wall, looking down the hallway at the fire towards Screech, looking down where you once were and looking back at Avedon kind of trying to figure out what to do. I'm going to roll an intelligence roll for our friend here. Extreme success, a four versus 50. He bolts and begins to leg it. Yeah, smart guy. Like, to try and get out of this party. You see and hear him running down the stairs. <laughs> and now, finally... You can try and untie this uh, this cape around your neck as you're there choking. Yeah, I mean, gasping for air. Um, yeah, I mean, I guess his, his fingers fumble. I will say that that in and of itself is not particularly difficult. What's going to be difficult is hitting the ground. So I'm going to ask for if you're happy to just plonk down for a dexterity roll, please when you hit the ground. Yeah, yeah. I, do, I don't think he'll have the wherewithal or like, the time to land nicely, but we can hope that it, yeah, it's not too bad. So, Dex... Ooh, 71 versus 60. That's a fail. Oh, my goodness. Okay. You take two points of damage as when you hit the ground, you hear your ankle kind of crack a little bit and ah, you feel the pings of pain as he landed not quite right yeah <laughs> because he like grunts in pain um but even in like that that quick moment of shock and I you know that like sick feeling you get in your stomach when you might have broken a bone it like brushes that off and just immediately starts screaming at the top of his lungs fire get out Run for your lives, you know, trying to cause like a hardcore panic, which, or rather, trying to encourage the panic that's already ensuing. Of course, give me a, either a fast talk or an intimidate to have a bonus roll, please. Try and get everyone to just leave. <laughs> it wasn't meant to be. Fast talk ninety-one versus seventy is the first fail, and the second is ninety-six versus seventy. Oh my god! A few people have sort of started to rush out, but everyone's now rushing in to this area from out in the garden to see what's going on as the room begins to crowd up. Of course they are. This is, you know, it's the event of the summer or, or well, I guess winter, Mardi Gras. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. So that is Jack Cassidy's turn. I imagine you turn up just in time to see Francois Avedon uh, get punched. He is again going to try and shoot at his assailants as this fire erupts. 
Oh, amazing. First roll of fail, 63, but his second roll with a penalty, even with a penalty, he's still got a 29. He rolled a 28 and 29. So he fires off again blindly, continues firing and uh, hits another one of these cultists for eight damage, just enough to take one of the ones closest to him down. Yeah. As one of them flees. There is now only one upstairs. However, more are trying to enter into the room. Give me a luck roll. Okay. 53 versus 12, that's a fail. The crowd around you, you thought was offering you some protection from cultists, from all these guards from other areas coming in, but you hear a gunshot fire off and people begin to spread. You kind of get what you want as people begin to leave, but what it means is you see two more cultists entering into this, into the, the foyer area now. Um, I mean, again, there's, there's no backing out now, and this will probably help get rid of the last of the people as they see an attempt at murder. Um, uh, Jack's just going to immediately produce his 38 and take a shot at one of the cultists rushing in. Yeah, do it. Oh no, 72 versus 35, that's a fail. Uh, you only have six in the chamber, but you can fire off more shots, like fan it and get three shots off. Of course, each is made with a penalty. Yeah, maybe maybe he takes two shots. We'll, we'll toss a second in there and see how that goes. Yeah, no problem. Roll that one, please, with a penalty as well. Oh, <laughs> heartbreaking. The first is an eight versus 35 hard success, but it has a penalty, so it's 58 oh, no. versus 35 fail. Uh, yeah, you fire off two shots. Uh, so you're down to four in the chamber. Um, as two of these guys enter the room, it is our cultist friend's turn, which is going to be the first one with the knife is again going to swing out all his fallen comrades around him and the other one fleeing straight out the front door. He's going to try and stab Abaddon. Oh, not doing well. That is a 62 versus 45. That is a failure. The cultists moving into the room now. One of them does have a gun. And he is going to attempt to shoot at Jack Cassidy. You can attempt to dodge to um, dive for cover and maybe hide in the crowd. Or you can stand your ground as this guy is going to attack you with a revolver. Yeah, I mean, I feel bad leaving leaving Abaddon to his fate, whatever that may be, um, after he, like, you know, literally saved me. But yeah, definitely gonna try to dive into the crowd and blend in as people are rushing out. Yeah, no problem. I'm gonna make a, a roll for him. That's gonna be made with a penalty. Lucky, that is a 54 versus 35. So that is a failure as he fires at you. As you dive into the crowd, I'm also going to roll to see if he hits anyone in the crowd. He misses as these guys move in. Give me a stealth roll for Jack Cassidy to just see if you can manage to actually blend into the crowd for the time being. That is a 30 versus 55 success. 
excellent. You blend into the crowd and begin moving the way that they move. Most of them, of course, now shuffling towards the door. The two cultists failing to see exactly where you've gone, but they know that they probably missed. Francois is going to fire off another shot at our friend. And that is an extreme success. He's at close range as well. This guy's trying to swing at him with a knife. He dodges out of the way, points the Luger directly in his chest, squeezes. And this cultist upstairs collapses to the ground. The only two cultists you can see now are the ones down on your level in the lobby, trying to find you within this crowd. But maybe at that point, their attention turns to Avedon upstairs as he looks ready to charge through the flames and down towards the bedroom. What does Jack Cassidy do? Yeah. Um. See, this this is what I was worried about when I was like, I'm going to go over the banister because it's just putting a lot of distance between myself and the target. But it, it felt like the right thing to do in the moment, regardless of that. Um, um, yeah, gonna go with that last Molotov, um, and see if I can chuck it somewhere in the room, like, towards some, uh, like, large curtains or something that'll light up to, to really get, I mean, a third fire started. I'm hoping that, it, you know, it, it'll finish getting everybody the hell out of here so there's not people to sacrifice. Okay, uh, yeah. Not aiming for a person, just aiming for something flammable. Yeah. That's, I'm going to say that's pretty easy to do. I'm still going to ask for a throw roll, not to to see whether or not you hit, but to see whether or not you can do this whilst keeping low and keeping hidden in this crowd. Yeah, yeah. So either way, you're going to hit. No, that's a 65 versus 20. It's, it's a fail. I'm, I'm definitely seen doing this. <laughs> yeah. So you do it. You move out, keeping low, and th- hurl this, this Molotov towards one of the, the curtains adorning the wall near the, the balcony that overlooks this lobby area. But as you hurl it, they make the flames erupt, creating this fire, and the last of the guests begin to scream and move out of the room. These two cultists in the the lobby definitely see you one of them is going to he is actually the one with the gun he is going to fire at Francois Avedon because he is so close to making it up into the room with Screech and Fowler first shot misses second shot Misses. Third shot. Misses. You are a war guy. Oh, yeah. So you would know that he only has, assuming he's the only one with a gun, one bullet left in the chamber as Abaddon charges through the flames. The other cultist is going to charge you, to try and tackle you to the ground. You can still try and dodge out of the way or try and fight back, 
but that's 17 versus 65. A hard success. Um, I mean, I'll, I'll go for a dodge regardless, but that, yeah, it's a hard success, so I'm going to get tackled, but I'll, I'll, I'll roll it. Why not? Unless you get a hard success on your dodge. <laughs> <laughs> that's a three versus 30 extreme success. <laughs> oh my god. As he shoulder down goes to charge you, this hulking figure like is going to connect right with your sternum and tackle you straight to the ground. Somehow, just you see it all in slow motion and you just keeping low jump to the left and he falls to the ground next to you uh, I mean yeah wow what a dodge um, but I mean he Jack's immediately gonna level the revolver on his head and take the shot uh, well probably take multiple shots but oh yeah absolutely he's prone and within point blank range so make your shot with a uh, bonus die, please, for the first one. Okay. Um, I'm going to dedicate myself to taking two before I roll, because I don't want to feel like... You know, if I do that after, I feel like I'm cheating, so... Yeah, no, no. Bonus for the first one. Okay, that's a fail. Either way, it's... Uh, the the better of the two was 78 versus 35. Still a fail. Uh, and the second one... Yeah, he tries to knock the revolver out of your hand. The second one, just a flat roll. 17 versus 35. Hard success on the second one. Oh my god. Hard success. That is nine damage. I am going to make a con save for our friend who is... Where do you shoot him? Oh, right for the head. Like, yeah. Yep. Right in the head. He's trying to to fight back. The first shot just like zooms right past his ear and hits the ground. The second shot connects. Ugh. And that is a 67 versus 70. As you connect with the side of this guy's head, you see his ear blows off and blood pours out. He has a major wound, of course, but he is not unconscious. That is a 67 versus 70 on his constitution roll. He is prone, but still fighting. Francois Avedon is going to try and jump through the fires. I'm going to roll a dodge for our friend to see if he takes any damage from the flames. That's an 11. That is a hard success. This is a man on a mission. He's the MVP of this, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. this campaign as Avedon jumps. It's a shame that no one's watching this as he jumps through the flames and you know, out of view as he charges down the door where... Papa Screech and you assume Fowler must be. The other cultist is going to follow as he runs away, following Fowl, uh, following Avedon up the stairs. The one who was unloading his revolver, so he charges upstairs. The one on the ground next to you with his ear blown off is going to pull out a knife. He is going to swing at Jackson Cassidy. He is, however, on the ground, so I am going to roll this with a penalty. What does Jackson Cassidy do? Um, I mean, I think he just tries to, like, you know, boot the knife, kick, kick it out of his hand. So I'm going to go with a fight back instead of a dodge. Okay, give me a brawl. You want one level of success higher than our friend here? 
That's a 47 versus 35 fail. That's a fail, but that's a failure for him as well. He swings the knife. You try and kick it out of his hand. Uh, Neither of those things happen. You kick it away from stabbing you, but he does not let go. However, it is now Jackson Cassidy's turn. Yeah, all right. Um, Again, as I've mentioned a couple times now, Jack is totally insane at this point. Um, So I I think he, like, cocks back the hammer and puts the gun as close as he can to this guy's face, but doesn't pull the trigger. He just says, bang, you're dead, and you're born again. Get the fuck out of here. Give me an intimidate with a bonus die, please, as the fires are now licking at this guy's head. Oh my god, that's a hundred versus fifteen, that's a horrible fail, and the second roll is a sixty-one versus fifteen, a fail. (laughs) You can see it in his eyes. He swings out at you, you try and stop him, you point the gun at his head and say these words, and, and the sanity is not there. You can see the anger in his face. He looks like he's ready to to swing out at you again. But of course, I'll give you that as a free action, so you can finish the job with your revolver pointed at him. Yeah, yeah. And thank you. Um, All right. Ah, I want to save one bullet, so I'm just going to roll once. Okay. He is going to swing his knife out at you. As you try and shoot, you put the 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 the, the revolver point black against his head. Oh man, seventy six versus thirty five. That's a fail. Oh no, you get a you get a bonus because you're point blank. So roll again. No, it's still it's seventy two versus thirty five. It's still a fail. You press your revolver against his temple, and you tell him to get the fuck out. And as he stands there, heavily breathing, the hatred in his eyes, he goes to swing his knife at you. And as you fire, he knocks your arm. And your bullet fires off. And then he is going to lunge forward at you with his knife. Um. Yeah, let's go with fight back. Let's. I mean, I guess he... Uh... Pistol knocked to the side. I think Jack just swings back with it to try to clock him across the face with it. Please. That is a failure for him. 10 versus 35. Hard success. <gasps> oh, incredible. With the butt of your pistol, as he swings his knife out at you, after you miss, you just clock him. Bang. Straight into the temple where you had the revolver pointed. And he collapses back into the hardwood floor, bleeding out now. Very much dead. Um, yeah, I mean, poor guy. Um, <laughs> Jesus. Um, <laughs> you know, he was just a cultist trying to do his thing, and I've got to wander up here and just murder people. I mean, they were going to do worse, but um, anyway, <laughs> Jack uh, takes a deep breath, stands, and chases, like runs up those stairs, chases after Abaddon. I assume there's going to be some rolls here because he's going to have to jump through those even bigger flames himself. Um, But he will like try to cover his face and arms with that cape as he jumps through the fire. Yeah. The other cultist um, following Abaddon is still up at the top of the stairs and he's going to swing off his last, try and fire off his last bullet at Abaddon who is trying to currently break down the door into the bedroom. As the fire laps out at him and the smoke fills the hallway, 
he misses. That is a 52 versus 35. So as you rush up to the top of the stairs, you can't see if Avedon has made it into the room or not, but standing just at the end of this hallway is the fire, right next to the fires, is this last cultist who just squeezed off a shot. Mm. You know what? Screw this guy. Uh, I'm going to hopefully live to regret this, but Jack is going to like use him as a way to get through the fire. Like he almost football tackles him, but he's not going to try to bring him to the ground. Like he just charges him from behind and knocks him down to the fire. And if he hits the ground, literally try to like step off him. Yeah. Yeah. You're trying to shove him down as you charge. That's going to be a brawl roll for Jackson Cassidy. Oh, so close. Is that enough? You know what? Yeah, now's the time. Now's the time. We we need to get there. Uh, I'm going to use the last of my luck, leaving me with one point of luck to make that happen. Oh, so that was a 44 versus 35. You're going to bring that down to a 35? Yeah, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Incredible. Um, yeah, you see, he's, you know, he's, he's still got his gun out. The fire's lapping at his feet. He's obviously, like, starting to take on some smoke and some burns, but he doesn't care. He just needs to shoot this guy. He fires his last shot. You head down, charge this guy into the fire, and as you crash into him, shoulder barging, so not trying to grapple him and tackle him down, just shove him down. He hits the wall, hits the floor, and falls down into flames. I'm going to roll to see how much damage our friend takes. Five points of damage. I assume you're not stopping to check out ha- on his welfare. You are just oh, yeah, absolutely pushing not. on yeah, through. Just, just full speed ahead. Yeah. Give me a... Uh, I'm going to say either a dexterity to leap through the flames or a constitution to just brace yourself and try to take as little damage as possible. I think, you know, the the whole last action is not, he's not being dexterous. Constitution makes the most sense. He's just trying to barrel through. So I'm going to roll con. This is 58 versus 80. That's a success. That's a success. Yeah, you don't have the cloak on anymore, but just through sheer will of just charging through the momentum of knocking this guy down and moving through these flames. You come out the other side coughing, but seemingly fine. The door to the bedroom on the other side is open. And as you continue to carry on down into the master bedroom, you get there into the doorway just in time to see our friend Avedon don't know how many bullets he has left, but he has his Luger pointed at Fowler. And you see, well, what you assume is Fowler. You see this figure um, not wearing the mask at the moment, but wearing this white robe with gold trim. He looks pale, hollow, skinny. The robe itself is muddy and kind of tattered kind of like from as though he'd been out in the lake, in the swamps like that dream you had while I was fucking sleeping (laughs) how dare I sleep (laughs) (laughs) and uh, Avedon squeezes off his Luger pistol 
and that is a hard success. 16 versus 40 as he shoots right into the sternum of Randall Fowler, who takes 10 points of damage, max wow. damage. Go for Incredible. It, as Fowler collapses backwards onto the bed and begins bleeding. You get there just in time as you're standing in the doorway. As he fires this off, Papa Screech moves in. This is all happening kind of in unison and reaches out and grabs Francois. And I think you get flashbacks kind of knowing exactly what is about to happen. He is going to use all the magic points he can as he grabs him you see this this blast this terrifying blast of energy cackling out from him as he grabs in and you realize when he touched you it was a warning because in this moment he is investing far more magic into this attack <sighs> uh because Avadon, his flesh begins to blacken and wither and he collapses. As this is, uh, as th- that might happen anyway, but as this is all happening at once, I think the minute that I would see Screech, like whether it was already he'd grabbed him or if it's he's reaching for him, I would take my lash up. Yeah, absolutely. Maybe we can... Maybe we can save Avedon after all. Or not. We'll see. That's an 18 versus 35 success. Oh, incredible. Six points of damage on Papa Screech. I'm going to roll a con roll for our friend, Mr. Screech. That is an 85 versus 55. That is a fail. As Papa Screech holds the arms of Avedon, this cackling energy, his flesh withers and blackens and he collapses to the ground. At the same moment, you charge in and fire off this shot at Papa Screech, getting him straight in the neck and he collapses to the ground. He hits the floor and begins bleeding out. Oh, man. Um, Smoke now filling the room. I feel like... Yeah. I, like, I feel like Jack is torn between whether he wants to... I mean, get his knife out and make sure that Screech is dead or whether he believes he can, he can get Abaddon out here. And I, I think it's that almost relief of like we stopped it whether we did or not he's like it we, we stopped it um and he's just gonna grab Avedon and uh basically throw him over his shoulder and try to get the fuck out of there and, and just be telling him like you're okay we, we stopped it you're okay there's no response unfortunately you don't know whether he's alive or dead but you grab the body and begin to head out of there give me another con roll as you move back through the flames that are now beginning to burn all of this house. Ah, 52 versus 80 success. 
yeah, awesome. You lunge, you throw yourself through this fire. You're going to take just one point of damage in doing so. Yeah. But you, um, with uh, Avedon, his little body, still wearing the, the, the March hair mask <laughs> over your shoulder. I don't know why I laughed. This is so sad. <laughs> <laughs> you, you, you hurl yourself through the fire and then begin running downstairs as bits of the ceiling of this, this his house are now collapsing. Everyone has fled. There's no one to be seen. Do you go out the front? Uh, I think he tries to get out to the garden. Out the back? Go out, go out the back, yeah. Yeah. You, with this body, rush out the back. It's empty. Everyone's left. You can hear the sounds of people screaming and yelling out the front, and you actually, just in the distance, can make out police sirens as you make it to the back of this this garden. Now that it's empty, you can kind of see how sort of miserable and unkempt it is. Maybe the sadness of Fowler's life kind of falling into disrepair over the years sort of comes into view. It was masked by lights and decorations and bands and party goers, but you see that the hedges are all kind of miserable, that the flowers aren't really blooming, that there are still sort of cobwebs everywhere and the grass itself is barely mowed. I mean... It's depressing. And as much disrepair as it is, I think Jack will look for a spot that looks maybe a nice tree or something, or like a flowering shrub, whatever is around that looks a little bit, you know, respectable, um, and bring Abbott on there. And and this is certainly the point where he just kind of all the tension breaks loose, um, and it it sounds like Abaddon's definitely dead. So he'll lower him to the ground and, you know, just Jack is just rocking back and forth. Um, and at first, just talking to him like, we did it. We did it. You you stopped it. Uh, and then just starts laughing. As you sit there in the back garden, safe from the, the smoke and the fire of the building in front of you, you begin to hear movement, footsteps and voices. You actually see the work being done of the fire department coming in to begin putting out this fire and you hear the sounds of boots and the calls of police as they're making sure that this building is empty and is clear as they begin heading out also into the back garden. I think Jack gets a hold of himself for a second uh, and looks down at Abaddon and, you know, almost smiles and is like, you did well. Stands up, straightens himself off, um, and walks towards the police with his with his hands out as if he's, you know, giving himself up for arrest. He knows what he's done. This is what I wanted to, what I wanted to ask. What is Jack Cassidy's plan here? Um... You know that they saw a, a madman rush in with a gun and attempt to kill Fowler and Screech. You know that someone started a fire. Does Jack want to give himself up and confess? There is, you know, that, that instinctual drive to be like, I can get away with this. I can, I can. But after everything, Jack knows what he's done. And he's not, I mean... He, 
he certainly snapped, but like he's not a bad man, not not at heart, and he does believe in like what the law is supposed to be, um, and I don't think he trusts himself if he gets away with this to not cross this line again. Um, so I think like whatever it is in his upbringing or his past, he recognizes like he has become he he has committed the crimes, and it's you know so he no he'll he will give himself up. And he will walk up again with his hands out as if he is already cuffed, basically, in front of him. Uh, and not even miss a beat. Like, he will start reading his own rights. <laughs> uh, my name is Detective Jackson Cassidy, and I have the right to remain silent. You know, and, and leave it at that. Wow. And maybe we just, you know, as the rain comes in, and as this mansion is there smoldering once the fire is put out, Maybe we just see Jack Cassidy cuffed, hands behind his back, being uh, placed in the back of a police car and driven off into the night in New Orleans. At best, maybe incarcerated for decades at worst, the death penalty. As things get pieced together about what took place that night and why, One mystery is never solved. The body of Randall Fowler is never found. Man, (laughs) what a game. Let's do a little, let's do a little, uh, a little, you know, debrief, debrief. I know that you've played Call of Cthulhu before, but you're sort of saying that you'd only really played it once. So with that in mind, what are your your thoughts on on the system itself? Oh man, okay, so um, yeah, all right. I, I basically need to take a second to separate the the excellence and enjoyment I, I you know experienced through that that fucking great story, man, um, from the system itself. My feelings on the system, uh, personal preference. I think that it allows you to do all the things you want to do. Um, but as a big fan of like really minimalistic narrative first games, like fortune and the dark games, um, there, there were times that I was like, and and this is a, a a very personal bet. Um, I, I tend to dislike any system that forces you to roll to hit. Um, Uh because it ends up changing the narrative. Right. So like there were moments where it was obvious that this should happen you know, from your side or mine, but we end up fumbling between like, this person's been shot in the head, but also it's only this much damage and, and stuff like that. So that for me is always a turnoff. And you know what? I think some of that was on me. I could have hand waved a lot of that. And I think that's, it's up to the, 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 the keeper or the DM or whatever you want to call it to be like, you know what, this person's prone, this person's lying there. You've got the gun on their temple. You just blast and kill them. That was on me. I probably should have just said in those situations, you, you coup de gras, you execute them. Well, you know, I shouldn't have left it like that. That's being true to the system though. Like it's, you know, and yeah, it is at, um, any, any keeper GM's discretion to do that. But like, that's being, you were being true to the system. Um, which is why I say like, it's a personal critique of the system. And the only thing I encountered that I I was like, "Mm, this could be better. Um, but again, that's, that's nothing to do with, with your GMing or how you run the game. I I thought it was very enjoyable. Just the only critique I have of, of how I've experienced this was that, um, 
and it's just a personal bent, you know. It's a lot of games that do that well, and I think that Cthulhu does do that well. It's just a, not not something I prefer. And again, it's it's not meant to be a combat heavy game. So the fact this ended in a big fight and big firefight is probably quite unusual for a lot of uh, Cthulhu scenarios. Although there are some where you're um, end up having to fight off hordes of zombies or ghouls and that kind of thing as well. So some are more combat heavy and some more aren't. Yeah. Depends on the thing, but I'm glad it ended with a bit of action. But yeah, I know what you mean. And it always drags when that happens. It's like, oh, I want to this guy fire at this guy point blank and kill him. Oh, but actually you miss. And that ends up being not fun. Yeah, well. So I think, yeah, my, my, my suggestion would be just to say, just to hand wave it and say, no, you, of course you execute this guy. Yeah, again, I think it's, it's um, and, and it, this just comes from, as I said, my very personal bent of like, I just love Forge in the Dark and Powered by the Apocalypse and the way they handle things like that. Um, it's not that you shouldn't, you know, roll to see if something happens. Of course, that's the, the fun of playing a game. Like you need to, you need to allow for random chance. But it's it's it, like paired rolls, like doing roll to hit plus damage is, um, again, just doesn't really jive with me. And there's moments where you miss that just add excellent tension and, you know, ramp up the scene. And I think that's great. Uh, but I don't know. It, it, I have the same problem with D&D &D, mm -hmm. where it's like we're in this really tense moment, you know, but oh, we need to. Or like from the GM side, um, it gets incredibly frustrating, right? When you've got a, a fairly balanced encounter. But that encounter ends up just being like really long and much more challenging than you intended because your players keep missing. Yes. Uh, it's know. not the tension of missing. It's not the tension of not knowing what's going to happen. It's when things get drawn out when where yeah, when, when the system starts to fail. I agree. I agree. It's you want things to, to happen quickly. And that's I agree. That's where I like systems like Forged in the Dark. That's where I like systems like Fate. Oh, yeah. You yeah. know, I think are great because it's not just hit, miss, hit, miss. Like things always happen but this is an old school game so it's always going to have a bit of that element of rolling to hit and rolling damage and, and hp and to be honest i do like having a bit my personal preference is having a bit of crunch um sometimes like i've played a bit of forged in the dark with you i know um sometimes i'm a bit like oh sometimes i want a bit of crunch i would have a bit of like mechanics and yeah, tactics yeah, I and see stuff that. as well yeah. so it all depends on personal personal preference what do you think about how easy it was as a player to sort of pick up the system and, and jump straight in and and learn do you think there was a big learning curve or was it pretty easy to wrap your head around yeah look i think as a like a compliment to this system um it does a really good job of kind of showing you especially with all of the skills kind of showing you who you are as a person right so i don't think it's too hard to step in um and get an array of skills that help you build who you're going to be um, and I like that you can do anything, you know, of course. But like you, it, it's different than, again, 5e, where you're like, oh, no, I'm always going to roll this because this is what I'm good at. I think it encourages you to kind of try a bit of everything, which feels a little bit more natural, um, even though you're good or bad at it. Uh, and I think that really helps build a character. Like my initial concept of Jack was obviously nowhere near how he turned out which is just the joy of, of playing through the character and playing to find out um but i think a lot of it when i was trying to conceptualize what what is he really about didn't kind of come into any any substantial view until we were actually looking at the skills you know okay he's he's good at fast talking but he's not charming you know and that and that mm. is, I, I like that about the system it does a good job of kind of fleshing out some of those gray areas for you 
Yeah. So obviously it's a it's a very different game to D&D. Um, I guess the reason why I wanted to do this as one of the earlier ones to convince people to try it was uh, I think there were a lot of misconceptions around it, like that it's uh, everyone's going to die and go crazy and it's not a lot of fun and, you, you, you know, you, you can't do much with it. I think it's quite a versatile system. I think you can do lots of different settings and lots of different styles. It is obviously very horror-based. And also you're not really playing super heroic characters. Like you probably, there's a, there's a huge chance you will die. Maybe I was a little uh, little easy on Jack because I didn't want things to end too soon for this podcast. <laughs> yeah. um, but um, you also, I mean, uh, uh, Francois Avedon rolled, I mean, rolled amazingly. He really helped you out there. Yeah. Yeah, he did. But um, I, I, I guess, yeah. In in making the 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 pitch from from five e to something like this, it's really funny. I saw a, a, a Facebook post once in some group, like someone had screenshotted it and shared it. If someone was like, "I'm trying to make a like a World War Two setting, uh, you know, game using five e, like where it's all set in World War Two. Oh, uh, that always makes me crazy. Uh, Every I time know. I see that, I'm like, "No, there's so many games out there. What are you doing?" And I was like, and I, I remember, I was like, "Just like Call of Cthulhu. Call of Cthulhu has like settings during World War Two. It's like you can even strip <laughs> out the horror era elements and make it just a straight, straight up kind of thing. I think it's quite a nice versatile system because it's like, basically, it's like you don't need to worry about how. I mean, you could get into the spells and stuff. I know Papa Screech, and they had a few spells, and there was a bit of magic going on, but. As a player, you're like, well, you know, what can a human being do? Well, that's what I can do. How does physics work? Well, that's what I can do, you know. In that regard, it's nice and simple. But, yeah, do you think you would be able to convince, you know, a a, di- a, a 5e player, someone who started on D&D and who's played D&D to, like, pick up Call of Cthulhu and give it a go? Oh, okay. So there's two There's two answers there. Um, obviously, there's always going to be people who are diehard or married to any system. doesn't matter. It's 5e or, or like, I'm almost there with Blades. Like, I play so much Blades. Um, but, but like, any game is going to have that group. That It doesn't matter how good of a pitch you give them. It's, it's what they love. And they're like, this is what I want to play. And I would not try to convince those people because good for them. They found what they love. They want to play it. Enjoy it. Um, but for people who have played a lot of 5e, but maybe have not played other things. Um, I, I was having a conversation with a friend a couple weeks ago, and it, it ended up with a fairly decent comparison. And I, I stand by this. Like, I think this is, the, in my opinion, the best way to put it. 5e is McDonald's, right? Like, it's not bad. It's accessible. You can find it absolutely everywhere, and everyone knows about it, right? So if you want a burger, I mean, you, there's certainly worse burgers, and there's better burgers. But you know consistently you're always going to get that same burger and you can always get it. And that's 5e. But I'm not going to go to McDonald's for Indian food, you know? So sometimes if you have a taste for curry or sushi, you're like, okay, well, I don't want McDonald's to make curry. It's not going to be good. Like, it'll still have that McDonald's flavor, I guess, and branding, and, and that's comforting. But it's not going to be good curry, probably, you know, not to shame McDonald's. Um but yeah, I think that all of us at some point or another, you're going to want another meal. You're going to want a different flavor if you enjoy the hobby um, and trying to force yourself to have McDonald's flavored, I don't know, curry is not ideal. Um, so I think kind of from that comparison, when when people are saying like, oh, I love role playing, especially role playing with games like this or 
I'm seeking this kind of power fantasy that's a little bit different. Or maybe I want a powerless fantasy where I'm a very normal human being against elder gods. Mm. Um, I, I don't think it's a hard pitch to be like, look, the mechanics are a little easier. There's way less rules. Um, why not try this? And if you don't like it, you don't like it. But it's it's different, you know. It's uh, it's. I don't think games like this should ever be seen as trying to compete with five E. No. They do something different. They provide something different, you know. And and so I think if people have that mindset, like, oh, I'm just going to try a different meal tonight, they would be willing to jump in. Yeah. Well, thank you, thank you for that, and thank you for the reviews, and thank you for playing. And of course, we are going to be back again with a couple more adventures couple more scenarios i guess to just show off the versatility of the the system whereas this is more of a an investigative mystery um i think the next one that i'm gonna run for you will be a bit more of a classic survival horror which is gonna be a lot of fun so that will be coming to everyone very shortly and uh yeah we'll have a bit of a bigger cast as well so really looking forward to that oh yeah exciting um I also look forward to that um, and also I just want to say again thank you for running this game um, it's it's been a pleasure to be involved with this it's just absolutely excellent so much fun well yeah thanks for playing that is it for for this scenario uh, for this little adventure on RPG quest and I look forward to playing some more Call of Cthulhu with you again soon yeah see you guys next time bye bye